360 degrees. Hot high, 360 degrees. Hot high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. Good evening, and welcome everyone. Tonight, Full Circle again comes to you prepared to do our part to raise funds for this important station as we present to you James Baldwin, one of the 20th century's most iconic figures who stood up for what he believed in when others sat. Even in the face of violent injustices, he spoke out when others stayed silent which is why some consider him a spokesman of the civil rights movement. On tonight's show, for those who are familiar with Mr. Baldwin, we will reintroduce you. And for those who meet are meeting him for the first time, we will introduce you to one of the history's most prolific orators and thinkers, Mr. James Baldwin. We'll also feature some of Mr. Baldwin's most captivating speeches. And of course, tonight, we will be humbly asking for your support for KPFA and the KPFA Apprenticeship Program. All that tonight on Full Circle. We are your hosts. My name is David de la Gran. And I am Dennis the Menace Roos. Please stay with us. If any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. I the story of the Negro in America is the story of America. It is not a pretty story. Most of the white Americans I've ever encountered surely have nothing whatever against Negroes. That's really not the question. Really encountered apathy and ignorance. You don't know what's happening on the other side of the world because you don't want to know. In America, I was free only in battle, never free to rest. We need to take action, any kind of action, by any means necessary. They needed us to speak to cotton, and now they don't need us anymore. Now they don't need us, they're going to kill us all off. There are days when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, is why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. And you gotta find out why. And the future of the country depends on that. What you just heard was the official trailer to the new documentary film, I Am Not Your Negro, about the life and struggles of James Baldwin, which documents what we as a people had to endure in those most troubling times. Times that are so similar to the events what's happening to this very day. 
which makes his speeches that we are about to offer to you for your donation to your station, 94.1 KPFA, all the more relevant. And I believe it's true. So the this documentary won an Oscar. Is it such a it's such a powerful documentary? Just watching it was just really intense. I went. I took my sister out there to see it. But we're um, we're not offering the documentary. We are offering something different and all relevant just as well, as well. And just to give you a little background on Mr. Baldwin, a novelist, essayist, playwright, poet, and social critic. He was born on August 2nd, 1924, a Leo, as James Arthur Baldwin to a young single mother, Irma Jones, of whom reportedly never told him who his biological father was. And when he was three, she married a Baptist minister named David Baldwin. Later, following in his stepfather's footsteps, he became a Pentecostal preacher at the age of 14. Disgusted by the prejudice in America, he left for Paris at the age of 24 in 1948. After earning a writing fellowship, he used the money to buy his ticket out of America. In Europe, he completed his novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, which was published in 1953, and Giovanni's Room in 1956, and another, and another country in 1962, as well as many other essays and plays, going on to be recognized for his insights on race, religion, and humanity, James Baldwin passed away to the ancestors on November 30th, 1987, in France, and was buried in Harlem, New York. But, but before we go deeper into the show, we would like to give out the website and the number here to KPFA for all the loyal listeners tuning in. Go to kpfa.org and click on the donate button. Or if you want to call and speak with an actual person, please do so now. 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. We are asking you to play an important part, uh, an important part in listener-sponsored 94.1 KPFA. Become an active member. Become a partner. Become a friend. Become a comrade in the resistance. When you call during this hour of Full Circle, you are supporting 94.1 KPFA and the KPFA Apprenticeship Program which trains radio activists who speaks truth to power at the same time. Not everyone is going to be on the street and protest. Not everyone is going to be a reporter or a great orator. But if you are listening to the station, you have the power, the power of information. You can be a radio activist and help keep this information alive. Be a radio activist. Support KPFA and the information it brings to you at the same time. Give us a click at kpfa.org or give us a call. The number is 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Or again, donate securely online by going to kpfa.org. Now, Mr. Baldwin talked a lot about the importance of thinking, of you know, the point where thinking can become, can become a crime. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that, you know, he's an awesome thinker. But what you're about to listen to right now is an excerpt from a speech by James Baldwin in 1963 at predominantly black Castlemont High School in Oakland, California, where he presents to you his insight on a subject that is in the back of the mind of every person of color in America, living and growing in a white world. A baby's not born with any idea of a society 
no sense whatever of other people. Its mother exists principally, in fact entirely, for him or her, and its father exists somewhat later, entirely for him or her. It's only much, much later that the baby begins to realize that the parent on whom he depended for everything and whom he supposed held up the world is in fact just another human being who was not invented for him. That is, on the most primary level, one of the meanings of an education. On another level, it is the only way that one is enabled to enlarge the world. Now that sounds like a very grandiose phrase. All it means is that when you, for example, begin to read, you discover more about the world than you knew before. You discover more about the world in two ways, and this is why it is important. There being, in fact, two worlds. One world is you. That this, this, this envelope, I'm a world. I'm not the only world, that's my problem. But I'm a world, and I got, I'm under the obligation to discover whatever it is that goes on in that world. And in order to do that, I have got to consent to become a social animal in order to discover and to enlarge what goes on in this world, which is all of you and many millions of people, both living and dead, past and to come. And finally, this is where it begins to be difficult, the measure of one's dignity depends on one's estimate of oneself. It really does not depend as so many people in this country now seem to believe, on someone else's estimate. It depends, first of all, on what you take yourself to be, what your real standards are, what you think is right, what you think is wrong, what you think life is all about, what you think life is for. Now, you are all very young, and I say that, by the way, with great humility. You are all still unformed, or well, let me put it another way, you are not finally formed. And you are still, to put it brutally, I want to put it brutally because I want to make my point absolutely clear, you are still at the mercy of your elders. You are still at the mercy of the standards of your elders. Let us go back again to the whole concept of education. And bear in mind then that education does not and cannot occur in a vacuum. It occurs in a social context. It occurs in a social context, and it has social ends. For example, to take a very brutal example, the children of the Third Reich were educated by the Third Reich in order to fulfill the purposes of the Third Reich. Hitler did this on a very old principle, the principle referred to old by priest and in the Bible, and which every parent somewhere knows, if you give me the child for five years, I'll have him the rest of his life. So that if that is so, one has then got to be aware that one of the purposes of an education, your responsibility before your educators, is to question the purpose of this education. Let me give you then, your education is occurring within a given context at a certain time 
in history, in a certain country, at a certain time in its history. In fact, at a very crucial time in its history. If, for example, well, I'll be personal about this. When I was going to school, a school not very unlike this one, though not as pretty, I began to be bugged by the teaching of American history. I began to be bugged by the teaching of American history because it seemed that that history had been accomplished without my presence. And this had a very demoralizing effect on me when I was your age and younger and had a demoralizing effect for quite a few years thereafter. Now, that may seem to be trivial, but speaking now as though I were your educator, as though I were your teacher, my responsibility to you would be to invest you with all of the morale that I could to prepare you for the terrible storm which is called life. Terrible and beautiful, but you must know that it is both. And you don't quite know it, and it's my responsibility to make you know it. It's my responsibility also, speaking now as your educator, to give you as true a version of your history as I can, since it is through your sense of your own history that you arrive at your identity. And no one has ever arrived at a sense of his own identity without it. This is why ancestors are important. We, all of us here now, are living through a certain kind of turmoil which endangers all of our relationships. This turmoil is sometimes described as racial. We can use that word for the moment, but it is really not racial. It is historical and it is personal. Let me speak again about the aims of a society as opposed now to the aims of an education. The aims of a society are and always must be to inculcate in its citizens a certain sense of security and to discourage its citizens from disturbing the peace. Now, this is a necessity and it is even an, an admirable necessity because we cannot live without society and society as a fact is a very beautiful creation. Nevertheless, it is also equally true that all societies have been brought into existence very painfully and very slowly by men and the people who are responsible for the creation of societies must forever ask questions, all questions, take nothing whatever for granted because that is the only way the frontiers of the world fall back and the world, as I said before, begins to be enlarged. So that this means that though a society is under the obligation to educate all of its citizens, it is also under the obligation to discourage people from thinking too much. Now this is where all of you come in. My responsibility, again, if I'm your teacher, is to teach you to think. This is not an easy thing to do. If I want you to think, I must teach you to think about everything. I must teach you that there is a reason for everything you do, and that you must find that reason. If, for example, and now I'll, I will be personal, I'm afraid, but I mean it in the best possible way. If I were your teacher, and let us say I was dealing with one of you who, let's say in this case, would be a Negro of about 16 or 17, and I knew that you were beginning to wonder what you were doing in school in the first place, and what 
waited for you outside. What good was it to be here since you, nothing that happened to you here prepared you for outside? Knowing your bitterness, not trying for a moment to pretend it is not justified, I yet have to suggest to you that the problems that you face, you will have to make them personal. And then I would ask you very rude questions. For example, I would ask you, if you were a boy, why you dressed the way you did, and if your hair was conked, I would ask you to ask yourself, why? To come back again, this is a very small example of what I mean, to the war between society and thought. It is your responsibility as the young American citizens to understand that the standards by which you are confronted and by which many of you are visibly and obviously victimized and others of you not so obviously but equally victimized are not the only standards in the world. There is no reason for anybody to want to look like a Greek god that is not the world's only standard of beauty and furthermore the virtues to which we all in one way or another aspire our comfortable life which is to say a middle-class life are not the only virtues. I come from a very poor family and there's a vast amount of vitality which is a very definite virtue to be found in those circumstances. Finally, if I were your teacher, I would beg you to insist to fight with me and not let me get away with anything. No matter how I may sound, I am really only mortal. And though I love you very much and feel responsible for you, I'm not always right. We depend on each other, the old and the young, to learn from each other. I would beg you to ask me why, for example, your history books are the way they are. And I would beg you to force me to answer if you asked me what relevance your education had for concrete problems such as getting an apartment, moving from one, one part of town to another. I would, if I were you, I would force me, I would put me on the spot, ask me the most difficult questions that you can. And I will not be able to answer them. But my responsibility is to hear them. And when you ask your question, any question, you begin to know more about what you really think. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA. What you just heard was an excerpt from James Baldwin's speech titled Living and Growing in a White World. That speech was actually 30 minutes long. Unfortunately, we cannot play it all due to time constraints, but we do offer that speech in its entirety along with many others. Others like 100 Years of Freedom, Black, Black Muslim versus Sidians, after the, after the murder of four children, just to name a few. We, we offer two discs. Disc one is 459 minutes. 7.65 hours with 10 speeches. Speeches such as an interview with James Baldwin. After the murder of four children, Harlem Revisited. And we also offer on disc two, which is 424 minutes, 7 hours, 10 stories, and speeches. Speeches as such as About Malcolm X, which is 46 minutes. Baldwin and Darden, which is 59 minutes. The Confessions of Nat Turner. You know, the movie Nat Turner just came out and uh, Baldwin talks about it. 
So once again, that's disc two at 425 minutes. 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Yes, I would, like, I would like you to be an active participant. I would love to know more about one of these most recognized freedom fighters of the civil rights movement. That's what you're saying when you call and donate. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. You can complete the James Baldwin set for a donation of $180. That's two MP3 CDs with seven hours each. Thanks to you help. Thanks to you have, uh, who have already donated. We really appreciate the support. Keep the calls and clicks coming. KPFA.org and 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Next, we'll take a listen to an excerpt from the complete collection, Pacifica Radio and James Baldwin, given in New York City, September 25th, 1963. Less than a month after the March on Washington, followed by a 1979 speech given at the University of California, Berkeley, where Baldwin addressed the conditions of blacks in the United States. Now, I have to say some very reckless things tonight. And so I want to make it absolutely clear that I am talking for myself. I am not... I might be at other platforms and other occasions more or less representing this or that organization or this or that committee, but tonight I am talking to you as Jimmy Baldwin, who was born in Harlem 39 years ago, who has a certain responsibility to the people that produced him, that is all of you, and I'm speaking to you, if I may say so, not as an organizer and not as a Negro leader, and not as a public figure, not as any of those things, but as one of the poets that you produced. Can you all hear me? <laughs> I really am very happy and I'm very honored to be here. More than I can say. I'm going to improvise like a writer on some assumptions. And though I feel a little uneasy in doing this and saying this, nevertheless, what a writer is obliged at some point to realize is that he's involved in a language which he has to change. For example, for a black writer, especially in this country, to be born into the English language is to realize that the assumptions of the language, the assumptions on which the language operates, are his enemy. When Othello kills Desdemona, for example, he says, I threw away a pearl richer than all my tribe. I was very young when I read that. And I wondered about that. Richer 
understand my triumph? <laughs> I really had to think about being as black as sin, as black as night, black-hearted, and in order, this is another story which I won't go into, in order to, to deal with that, really, to deal with that, at a certain time in my life, when I was not in this country, but in France, where I could not speak to anybody because I spoke no French, but no one wanted to speak to me. <laughs> I dropped into a silence in which I heard, for the first time, really heard and began to be able to try to deal with the beat of the language of the people who had produced me. I might have been able to do that here, but in the event I was not able to do it here. I did it far away. And when I was able to hear that music, because when I was young, there were no black writers as models, and white writers could not be models either. I did not agree at all with the moral predicament of Huckleberry Finn concerning Nigger Jim. <laughs> it was not, after all, a question about whether I should be sold back into slavery. I want to try to shift a certain assumption. I want to suggest that instead of, as we have now for far too long, according to me, instead of speaking about the civil rights movement, which is an American phrase, which I'm going to go into in a moment, which upon examination means nothing at all, let us pretend that I stand before you as a witness and let us pretend that everyone under the sound of my voice is in the same condition. I'm a witness to and a survivor of the latest slave rebellion. I put it that way because Malcolm X and I met many years ago when Malcolm was doing a debate with a very young sit-in student and Malcolm was a black Muslim and the radio station called me to moderate this discussion which I did. I was not needed, I must tell you. Malcolm was one of the most beautiful and one of the most gentle men I met in all my life. He asked the boy a question, which I now present to you. If you are a citizen, why do you have to fight for your civil rights? If you're fighting for your civil rights, that means you're not a citizen. And in fact, the legality of this country, and I won't further investigate the word legality, has never had anything to do with its former slaves. We are still governed by the slave codes. Now, 
When I say a slave rebellion, I mean that what is called the civil rights movement was really insurrection. I want to point out a paradox. The only people in this country who have any notion of who they are, the only people in this country who have any notion of who they are, are the black people in this country. And I will tell you why. When the Italian got here, or the Greek, or whoever, there was a moment in his life when he had to start to speak English, when he became a guy named Joe. And that meant he couldn't speak to his father because his father couldn't speak English. That meant a rupture, a profound rupture. So the son did become a guy named Joe and never found out anything else about himself. We come out of a history, black people in this country come out of a history which was never written down. The connection between father and son, between mother and daughter, until this hour, and in spite of the danger in which we stand, and all that I know is happening all around us every day, we forged ourselves out of this fire. And if we could do that, and we have done that, we can deal with what now lies before us. I know I ain't got no jobs to give nobody. I know that. I know I ain't got no money. I can't co-opt you. <laughs> I know many things must be done, and I know that I can't do them. But I also know that I haven't got to do them alone. We have never been alone. That's the mystery. Every white person in this country, I do not care what he says or she says, knows one thing. They may not know, as they put it, what I want. But they know they would not like to be black here. If they know that, they know everything they need to know. <laughs> and whatever else they say is a lie. <laughs> Bear it in mind, children, I mean that. That voice. What a voice. And his humor in his delivery. I can listen to this guy talk in the car, at home, anywhere, all the time. $180. $180 to get the full, the complete set. Pacifica Radio, James Baldwin, the complete collection. $180. Call 1-800-439-5732 or donate online www.kpfa.org and welcome back you just heard a few excerpts from the 1979 speech 
They Would Not Want to Be Black Here by James Baldwin. Now, perspective is really important. Our stories are important. We must know how we're living from across the country, between the country, between the state lines, ideally across the world. And you know what? Pacifica Radio is helping to do that. This is not, this is not a white issue. This is not a black issue. It's not a brown issue. It's a people issue. And we need to, we need to get, get into that. Everybody needs healing. Now, for truth, facts, and honesty, become a member today of KPFA, the only station that really speaks truth to power. Become an ally today. March 3rd, 2017, call 1-800-459-5732. Donate online, kpfa.org. You can get other gifts online as well, not just the CD. Hoodies, jackets, T-shirts, bumper stickers. Become a member. But all this, you know, it makes you ask the question. You know, we're talking about the, the Trump administration and everything. We're talking about making America great again. When exactly was this country great? And who was the great for? The history of America is complicated, and understanding our roles in it has been a challenge. What you're about to hear next is an excerpt from Free and Brave, where James Baldwin talks about American history from the Negro perspective at the Second Baptist Church in Los Angeles in early 1963. If one examines for a second, or if one tries to define the proper noun American, one will discover, first of all, that to be an American means a catalog of virtues. We have something called I Am an American Day, which I gather is meant to reassure everybody. And to be an American in these terms apparently means, check me out, you think about it. <laughs> apparently means that though Greeks, Armenians, Turks, Frenchmen, Englishmen, Scotch, Scotsmen, Italian, may be corrupt, sexual, unpredictable, lazy, evil, a little lower than the angels. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> Quite overlooking the fact that the country was settled by Englishmen, Scots, Germans, Turks, and Armenians, a little later to be sure. Every nation under heaven is here. And not, after all, for a very long time. I think that it might be useful 
in order to survive our present crisis, to do what any individual does, is forced to do, to survive his crisis, which is to look back on his beginnings. The beginnings of this country, it seems to be, it's a banality to say it, but alas, it has to be said. The beginnings of this, of this country have nothing whatever to do with the myth we have created about it. The country did not come about because a handful of people in Europe, various parts of Europe, said, I want to be free, and promptly built a boat or a raft <laughs> and crossed the Atlantic Ocean. Not at all. Not at all. In passing, let me remark that the word liberty, the word freedom, are terribly misused words. Liberty is a fact which is also used as a slogan and freedom may be the very last thing that people want. The very last thing. Anyway, the people who settled the country, the people who came here, came here for one reason, no matter how disguised. They came here because they thought it would be better here than where they were. That's why they came. And that's the only reason that they came. Anybody who was making it in England <laughs> did not get on the Mayflower. is important, it is important that one begin to recognize this because part of the dilemma of this country is that it has managed to believe the myth it has created about its own past, which is another way of saying that it has entirely not denied its past. And we all know, if we think about it, what happens to a person who is born, let us say, where I was born, in Harlem, and goes to the world pretending he was born in Sutton Place. <coughs> How odd this may sound. Also happens to a nation. A nation being, when it finally comes into existence, the achievement of the people who make it up. And the quality of the nation being absolutely at the mercy, defined, dictated by the nature and the quality of the people who make it up. Now slavery, like murder, is one of the oldest human institutions 
So we cannot quarrel about the fact of slavery. That is to say we could, but that's, that's another story. But we enslaved him because in order to conquer the country, we had to have cheap labor. And the man who is now known as the American Negro, who is one of the oldest of American citizens and the only one who never wanted to come here Did the dirty work. Hold the cotton. You hold cotton? No. Chopped cotton, whatever you do with cotton. Picked cotton. Lined track. Helped. In fact, I think it is not too strong a statement to say. But let me put it this way. Without his presence, without that strong back, the American economy, the American nation would have had a vast amount of trouble creating its capital. If then, if one had not had cat toting the bars and lifting the bales, as we put it. It would be a very different country, and it would certainly be much poorer. And that's all right. But the people I'm speaking of who settled the country had a fatal flaw. They could see, they could recognize a man when they saw one. They knew he wasn't. I mean, you can tell. They knew he wasn't anything else but a man. But since they were Christian, and since they had already decided that they came here to establish a free country, and some of them really meant it, by the way. The only way to justify the role this channel was playing in one's life was to say that he was not a man. Because if he wasn't a man, then no crime had been committed. That is the basis, that lie is the basis of our present trouble, because that is an extremely complex lie. <laughs> if on the one hand, 
One man cannot avoid recognizing another man. It is also true then, obviously, that the man, the black man, who was in captivity and treated like an animal and told that he was one, knew that he was a man and knew that something was wrong. What you just heard was James Baldwin talking about the history of the United States from the Negro perspective. In the speech, he illustrates the plight of the Middle Passage when he visits the island of Goree near the city of Dakar, the westernmost city on the African continent of the Senegalese coast, which was a base for the Atlantic slave trade. And right now, we're going to thank we're going to go to our thank yous. We're going to thank a few friends that called in to donate. John and Kotati, you are a friend. Susan and Orinda, you are a comrade. David in San Francisco, we appreciate you. Shannon in San Jose, if it weren't for you, this station would definitely be behind. And we have a match, actually. Uh, what do you say, David? Sounds like, sounds pretty good to me. Let's get a couple callers in on the line. That was just a few. We got some more already. The uh, $200 match comes from Jared in Oakland. Thank you very much, Jared. You are definitely a friend, a friend indeed. And the phone number is 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Pull over. Call the number. Get your get your, get your donations in. 180 bucks will get you this awesome a DV, a CD set right here. Yeah, so whether you're a teacher, whether you're a, a history major, you absolutely, positively need to hear James Baldwin. He has so much to say. Things that you think he's, his speeches were from the 60s, but you can actually listen to him today, and it is so relevant at this point. I mean... And it's so true. Like even you know when you watch the I watch the flick the the movie you know they're they're using the words from 1963 and the images are from now. Like the the story continues. You know it's been the same story day in day out here in America. Yeah. So it's like you know the more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? Also, his his uh, James Baldwin's acceptance of his sexual orientation added added the question of sexual identity to the civil rights struggle. This is a heavy hitter right here. James Baldwin is the man. All right, David de la Gran. Next, you'll hear two responses that Mr. Baldwin gave back, gave from a talk at the San Francisco Masonic Auditorium on December 16th, 1964. He explicates a critique from modern morality and the importance of the economic battlefront. Let's take a listen to that. I to don't that know clip. the context. I should, uh, should I repeat the question? Uh, Louis Lomax on Susskind's show said that the only way to gain civil rights was to embarrass the federal government on an international plane and to march 5,000 people into Mississippi. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't object to it on the face of it. It would depend very much on which 5,000 people. But, and it also overlooks 
It overlooks something very hard to uh, put one's finger on. It overlooks, I think, the power of economics. It is not easy to embarrass governments. We try to embarrass our government in quite another way because of its alliance with South Africa. But your attitude toward that or mine is of much less relevance than the contracts existing between South Africa and American business interest. And the government can take certain public positions but as long as the contract, contracts aren't abrogated and South Africans are, continue, are continually murdered with our help, it is very difficult to say the government's embarrassed. Now, the economy of this country is very interlocking too. And though, yes, the process of intimidation or blackmail can work, I think it's in a very limited area. I think the, I think the uh, battle is on the economic front. That one has got to... Um, in spite of Western pretensions or Christian pretensions, they only really begin to react when their revenue begins to be affected. And I think that's the direction. Though the 5,000 people in Mississippi is not a bad idea, but that's a very complicated idea, and we'll have to work that out in great detail in order, in order to protect the people of Mississippi and the 5,000. Well, he said that the society is uh, an enormous structure with enormous bureaucracy really the labor unions and vast installations and maybe the society is too big to save I don't know how to answer that tell you the truth it's a suspicion that I've had um, and yet the labor unions for example I know very little about labor unions but a little bit more than I know about colleges the labor unions, like all the other institutions that you've named, have really failed in their responsibility and, they, and have been subverted from what they were supposed to be doing. By what? Not by the size of the society, I don't think. But by the nature and the extent of the profits one could make in it, the society. That is, in a way, the labor movement suffers, um, among other things, from the fact that no one in this country has ever encouraged really to think of himself as a laborer. The American myth is that you can all become capitalist. And that is precisely what has happened to the labor movement, in the labor movement. Now, it didn't necessarily have to happen. And it's not necessarily then a matter of size, if you see what I mean. You know, but I confess that I don't know how I'm going to go about beginning to reduce it, beginning to make it, you know, to make, make even this campus, for example, more manageable. But this comes back to, I think it comes back to the way the American economy is run and for whose benefit it's run. And I think the, na the nature of the collision that we are coming into in any case is involved with the radical revision of that economy. So you see what I mean? I'm not sure it's a size, but something else. I'm sorry, but I'm, I am just, I feel I have to tell you good night because I promise not to stay up. I haven't got any voice. I'm, I'm, this is not a cop-out. But I promise that I wouldn't stay up here too long. So I have to go. It's been very good talking to you. And I'd like to come back again. Thank you. And welcome back here to Full Circle here on KPFA. Give us a click or give us a call and show your support for the work we do here at, as apprentices at KPFA. 1-800-439-5732. James Baldwin speaks with wisdom, 
with a voice that refuses to sell out in an age where everybody's for sale and everything is for sale. Baldwin would have never sold out. Just like 94.1 KPFA, we refuse to sell out and we can and will keep our integrity intact, but only with your help. Give us a call, 1-800-439-5732. Yes, De La Grande. You can get this incredible collection of James Baldwin for $180. We are also offering the voice... Uh-oh. We are also... Well, we're also offering the voices that change the world, World Thun Drive, with 1,300 hours of speeches and talks by calling 1-800-439-5732. Yes, we are offering that. Um, excuse me. So that's the voices, of, voices that change the world with 1,300 hours of speeches and talks by calling 1-800-439-5732. And if you're listening online, you can donate securely by going to kpfa.org. Now, these fun drives are fun and all, but we got to get down to the, um, to the nitty-gritty and, and give you the content. And the content here is the fact that, you know, the civil rights movement happened. It's still, it's still happening. We're talking about rights. They're being stripped away um, little by little. The, 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 and all the powers that be that are at play creating these conditions are still and have been since since forever ago, you know, we got Jeff Beauregard Sessions, you know, in uh, in in office. We got all kinds of things. We have a uh, um, we need to get together and understand our roots and continue forward in this in this place. Um, Mr. Baldwin talks about the way forward and tells us also that he doesn't have the answers. You know, nobody exactly has the answers, but we got to think we got to do that revolutionary thing that we do as humans and think and figure them out together. You know, back in 2016, talking about the apprenticeship program now, we reported on the housing crisis in Oakland and two specific developments that were going up and that were going up for consideration by the City Planning Commission. The Oakland Chinatown Coalition, as well as the East Bay Residents for Responsible Development, different labor representatives and and neighbors, they worked together for well over six months to win. And I did say win over $6.2 million in agreements from the developers, Wood Partners and the Martin Group. They, you know, we, we, we ran some of these stories. We talked to Lylon Hewen. You know, like, we, we do do some, some, some awesome work here. We also brought you a couple other things, like the, the March for Real Climate Leadership, uh, episode called Block the Boat. You know, we talked with the Iraq veterans against the war, the roundtable discussions on the war and the effects of war. We were at the shutdown Creech in the Nevada desert for a week, video streaming the action. We were at the 50th anniversary honoring Cesar Chavez and the great, great boycott from Delano, California. We brought you so much material and we continue to bring you so much material. Give us a call, 1-800-439-5732. Get your CD, $180 for the complete collection. Pacifica Radio, James Baldwin. In four years after this Trump administration, what will you be able to say that you did to defend your rights, to defend your children's rights, to defend your children's children's rights? What would, what would you be able to have said that you've done? KPFA is at the forefront of this battle. We are your voice. With your help, 
1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-439-5732. Or online at kpfa.org. Thank you for all those who have called and keep the calls coming in. We got some more rolling in already, so thanks a lot. We really appreciate you. We really appreciate you. Again, that's 1-800-439-5732. Let's keep this radio station up and running because you already know KPFA is your antidote to misinformation and to compromised reporting. Yes, and we also are taking memberships for $25, I believe. believe And you, you can become an active member. You can become an active member in this battle against truth. $25. 1-800-439-5732. $25 for a membership. So what's that announcement, David? You know, together we can really make a difference, right? You know that we reported from Standing Rock here at Full Circle. We are the apprenticeship program, and we're going to continue doing the good work here for you. We have an announcement. Amelia Barrelli presents a workshop on the power of yoga and qigong at Mount Madonna Center. Oh, sounds interesting. Yep. These time-tested techniques featuring gentle movements starts on March 17th. The weekend only option lasts through March 19th. The extended option lasts through March 22nd. For details, go to www.ameliabarelli.com. All right. Thank you for everyone who called. 1-800-439-5732. Keep the calls coming in. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Tune in next week to Full Circle for another chance to donate to your local community radio station and get another awesome and different thank you gift. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We've been your host, Dennis the Menace Roos. And I'm David de la Gran. Thank you to Teresa on the ones and twos. And thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Stay with us and stay tuned. La Onda Bajita is next. La Onda Bajita.